This is Body Count, a horror movie podcast, with your hosts, Trent Scott and Graham Asher. <laughs> Hey, what's going on, Trent? And welcome back, everybody, to Body Count. Trent, you are doing our first uh, broadcast while one of us is on the road. So I wanted to give you props for your dedication. You hear that out there, everybody <laughs> listening? Trent can be out of town on vacation, and he's still going to provide juicy content for us on the podcast. Yes. So for anyone, if my audio sounds a, a, a little less than perfect this time, it's because I am indeed on the road. And Graham said out of town. I, I'm more than just out of town. I am, in fact, out of state. Out of state. <laughs> um, Which isn't so a I, bad place to be if you live in Texas right now. Just saying. <laughs> yes. So I do not have my usual uh, microphone with me. So I'm just using the built-in microphone on my laptop. So again, if my audio isn't quite what you're used to, uh, just hang with us and we'll be back to normal next episode. I think you sound fine, but um, yeah, we'll see it on the playback. But yeah, Trent, why don't you tell everybody where you are if you don't if you don't mind sharing where you are? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I am in the shy. I am in Chicago, Illinois. The Windy City, home of the Sears Tower. And <laughs> home of the movie that we're reviewing today, Graham. Is that a coincidence? Are you just going to be like traveling to the location <laughs> setting of all the movies we record? <laughs> yeah, next time we do uh, a Friday the 13th movie, I'm heading to Camp Crystal Lake. <laughs> I mean, same state, right? And then it's still in Illinois. I, I, is it actually? I don't know. I think it is. I don't know where they filmed it, but I think it's supposed to be in Illinois. Maybe, but maybe not. Uh, yeah, uh, we need to go back and like a, our own episode two, Friday the Thirteenth, and find yeah. out. Let's film uh, an American Werewolf in London. You can travel across. Oh the pond. lord, that would be uh, that would be quite the adventure. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So before we jump into uh, Candyman, and this is going to be the original. Candyman from 1992, not the brand new one. Yeah. Um, let's take a quick look back at our previous episode, Signs. Yeah. So we, if you guys didn't join us last time, we reviewed Signs, which uh, might have been the first time that Trent and I had like polarizing views on that one. So it's kind of fun to listen back to and hear that. Yes. Um, without spoiling our own podcast, because you should absolutely go listen to it. Why haven't you already? I mean, come on, people. <laughs> Uh, this was the first time in 19 movies that we had wildly different takes on the film. One of us was a fan. One of us was not. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that was fun to kind of go back and forth, um, you know, on that whole thing. Um, Candyman 1992. Trent, you said you had mentioned that you had seen this um, years and years ago. Is that right? That Watching it back, did, did, did it ring a bell? Parts of it did. Parts of it were uh, very fuzzy. Yeah, completely. Yeah, I. This is my first time watching this. 
um, had always, I mean, if you're a horror movie fan, I feel like, you know, Candyman, you know, it has the iconic movie poster cover um, with the eyeball and the bee. I remember seeing that as a kid, as I perused up and down the, the horror section, um, you know, thinking that looked awesome, but for whatever reason, I just didn't, um, I just never caught it. I never rented it. And then I guess I've just missed it when it's been rebroadcast on TV. So, um, but yeah, it was interesting to go back and watch this for the first time. Yeah. So um, I will say uh, for those who, who are familiar with our show, my notes aren't quite as detailed as usual. So this might be a bit of a quicker run through the movie than what you're used to. It normally takes us like an hour just to get through the plot of the movie. So it might be a little bit quicker than that today. I am on vacation after all, folks. <laughs> I mean, he's not mailing it in, but um, <laughs> but honestly, and you know, before we get into it, taking notes on this one was more challenging than other ones. Did you feel that way? It's like the yeah. plot kind of the plot kind of goes it it jumps around a little bit, and then it's just kind of a I wouldn't say the movie's necessarily hard to follow. It's just like hard to take notes on 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 what's going on scene by scene because some things just aren't very relevant to like right. tell the recap. Yeah. There, there, there are scenes I completely left out of my write-up because it's like, right. well, this had no bearing on anything. So I just skipped it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I felt the same way. So, um, so yeah, this will be a little brief and, and give us plenty of time to dive into what we thought. As always, you'll hear from some bloody bits uh, that I have some trivia about the movie, but another thing that we do every time before we get started is Trent you give us your one sentence synopsis of of the of the film. So, what do you got here? Candyman is all about the power of belief. <laughs> yeah, do, you, do, you, do you agree? The power of belief. Yes. Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, it, we'll, we're going to just the the legend of Candyman comes up very quickly. So. Um, Stay tuned for that because, yeah, I mean, it's just like any other folklore. Um, you kind of got to believe to make it real, right? Sure. I mean, and, you know, we'll, we'll get into it, but certainly throughout the movie, Candyman himself tells us, like, yes. well, he tells Helen, like, your disbelief has cost me my congregation, so <laughs> I'm going to have to kill you now to, to get yeah. them back, basically. So we'll get to that. Um, But uh, with that in mind, let's actually – Get into the movie proper. Um, so we see our opening credits, which is video of Chicago. Hey, what do, you, what do you know about that? Yeah, nice aerial shot of the city in 1992. And then to start the film proper, we get a voiceover from Candyman himself. And the first two lines of this movie are incredible. He says, quote, they will say I have shed innocent blood. What's blood for if not shedding? I know, very poetic, very Shakespearean, right? And I mean, we're off to the races with that. Like, <laughs> like I remember when I was uh, when I when I used to take. So I minored in speech in in college, and so it's like one of the things. Like, whenever you were writing a speech, like one of the things you wanted was you wanted to have a big opening hook. Mm -hmm. Well, they got a big opening hook to this movie because if you're a horror fan, if you like if you like the guts and gores, the slashers, those two opening lines. If you're like me, you're in immediately. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I totally agree with that. And so from there, we see, well, part of the legend of the Candyman is told. We find out, you know, if you say his name five times in the mirror, he'll appear. Because we see the scene involving a babysitter named Clara, 
who invites a boy, not her boyfriend. It's made clear. Um, yeah, he's a so, bad boy. <laughs> yeah, he's a bad boy. And so she invites him over and they go to the bathroom and they're looking in the mirror and she starts telling them about Candyman and they both agree to say the name once, twice, three times, four times. And as Clara says it the fifth time, her boyfriend doesn't say it. He stops at four. Yes, Billy. He only says it four times. So Um, he heads back downstairs and she closes the medicine cabinet. And there he is, the candy man. Ring that bell number one. That's Clara gets hooked. Yes, right at the beginning, body count number one, Clara. um, This is what we like to call in... 2021, uh, F'd around and found out, right? <laughs> <laughs> you were speaking of poetry earlier. I, I think you just used some of your own. Very F'd around and found out, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. So, uh, yeah, she uh, she got the hook of Candyman. Um, very imposing figure he is. So we find out that, uh, well, we are told that he, also, that, that he being Candyman, uh, also killed the baby. We do not see that, so I'm not going to count it. Are you okay with that decision, Graham? Yeah, I wrote that in my notes. I said we're not going to count that. It's 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 uh we never met him. Um, you know, I don't know. It, it wasn't on camera, so yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That that doesn't count toward the body count. All right. So from there, we meet our main character, Helen Lyle. Now, Helen, played by Virginia Madsen, is a research student. And she is studying all about urban legends. And she has a particular interest in the Candyman. So uh, she starts talking to a couple of the cleaning ladies there at the school who tell her all about Ruthie Jean, a local woman from the Sabrina Green Housing Project who was murdered. And they believe it was the work of Candyman. Yeah, we found out real quick. Um that Candyman legend is alive and well, especially at this particular, um, I guess we just have to call it a project, right? Yes. Um, It's a very rundown area of Chicago. Uh, We'll talk about that a little bit coming up, um, you know, at the end. But, um, but yeah, there was, they they obviously didn't find the killer. So um, the local people, the legend of Candyman continues that he was the one that was actually, uh, that murdered you said Ruthie Jean, right? Yes. Yeah, Ruthie Jean. So, scary stuff. So from there, we get a collage of newspaper clippings, and we see that there are 21 unsolved murders in this particular area. So, uh, Candyman yeah, has been she, busy. He has been busy. And, you know, this is where, like, the old technology kind of makes me laugh. She's in the library. People, people still go to libraries, right? And then, you know, in the old school libraries, they would actually have like newspaper clippings attached to some kind of machine, almost like a TV screen or something. And you can like cycle through um, various newspapers. I mean, have you ever seen one of those in real life? Do they still have that at like universities and stuff? I would assume so, but I've never used one. Yeah, I've never used one. Um, Anyway, that gave me a little bit of a laugh. Like, yeah. oh, before old technology Google. alert. Yeah. There, will, there will be another really bad old technology alert in a little bit. For um, sure. But from there, we meet uh, Helen's, I guess we can call her best friend, Bernadette. And uh, they are at Helen's house. And they, I guess they weren't listening to the story of Clara because here we go again. 
They're looking into the medicine cabinet mirror and they say it once. They say it twice, three times, four. And once again, one person says it the fifth time and one person doesn't. In this case, Bernadette stops at four, but good old Helen says it the fifth time. Yeah, I mean, why are you testing fate? Um, I get it. In, in, in reality, would you say it five times, Trent? Do you want to have a challenge where you go in the, to the mirror and say it five times? What's I wouldn't the upside? Do <laughs> yeah, there, is, there really isn't an upside, I guess. Um, there's a major downside. Yes. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and I think we should mention, so I'll fill in some of the gaps if there are any gaps that I think are pertinent to the plot. So um, one thing I found interesting is Helen's describing, or they're in her condo. She's looking at that, uh, Cabrini Green, that housing project, she finds out in one of the newspaper clippings, it shows the uh, Cabrini Green, and it's actually her current condo um, complex. And so they had sold it, turned it into condos, and then they um, renamed one of the other projects uh, Cabrini Green. So she's actually living in like a similar place. I thought that was interesting. And so that's why they can go in the mirror and look behind right. and kind of see that described... Uh, Ruthie Jean's demise. So anyway. So um, so she says it the fifth time and nothing happens. We cut to the next day um, and the two of them have decided that they're going to go check out uh, Ruthie Jean's murder scene. So they head over to the other apartment complex that Grandma was just talking about and um, Helen climbs through the hole in the wall where the attacker, the unknown assailant, uh, Candyman presumably, attacked. And he, she crawls through it and she finds like a lair where there's like a mural <laughs> of Candyman's face. Yeah, it's it, 100% a lair. If you can imagine a lair, if you haven't seen this movie, it is a lair. So, um, and this place that they're in is completely gross, run down. Yes. Um, yeah, she, she finds some offerings, so to speak, to Candyman, like some candy with razor blades in it. It's just a creepy place. She's got a lot of cojones to go in here um, in the first place. So I had to give it to Helen um, in this aspect that she's either very stupid, very brave, or a combination of both. I was thinking when you said that, does she have a lot of cojones or does she just have a lack of common sense? <laughs> <laughs> right. So anyway, so they get out of there and then they go and they talk to one of the residents in the building named Anne-Marie. And Anne-Marie says, you know, uh, I, we, I should say that the two women, they were accosted by a group of guys on their way in um, who seemed, uh, shall we say, drugged out. <laughs> yeah. And so Anne-Marie says, you know, we're not all like those guys. You know, some of us, you know, we just have normal lives. We're just trying and to raise a kid here, yeah. We're just trying to raise a kid because see, Anne Marie is a single mother. And she says that she actually heard Ruthie Jean's murder. She heard the screams and she calls 911. And she said, nobody came. And they ask her who did it. And she says it was the Candyman. Yeah, we're starting to, we're getting some, uh, some inside peaks of kind of the disparity between the haves and the have nots, um, you know, the, the different communities here. Um, a lot of us can't imagine, you know, calling, or maybe we can't imagine calling the police and, and having them not 
um, show up, especially to a violent crime. And so just kind of give some insight of uh, Chicago at the time, for sure. Uh, so next up, we see Helen now at dinner that evening with her husband, Trevor, and they are with a professor who we find out actually wrote a paper about Candyman 10 years ago. And so here we get more of the backstory of Candyman. We find out that the legend first appeared around 1890, that Candyman was the son of a slave and that he went on to go to these great schools and he was an incredibly talented artist. However, one client hired him to uh, capture the virginal beauty of his daughter and she winds up turning up pregnant. So as a result, the dad seeks revenge on Candyman and he hires a group of thugs to track him down. And they cut off his hand, just like the legend. And then they take Honeycomb and smear it all over him. And a swarm of bees kills him. Yikes. That's not how you want to go, folks. No. Uh, call back to my girl, Macaulay Culkin, right? <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, it was a lynch mob. He, they got a lynch mob yes. after him, basically. And this is, you know, time of slavery. So, um, again, a little bit of those um, undertones that they're trying to portray here. But, yeah, a horrible, horrible way um, for, for Candyman to go. Um, I, we never find out his real name. He's just Candyman. Um, and, yeah, they end up, what, burning him on a pyre and spreading his ashes yes. um, at the site that ends up becoming Cabrini Green. So, so she returns back to Cabrini Green. Where she meets a little boy, she, of course, being Helen, uh, pronouns, <laughs> meets a little boy named Jake. Uh, Jake seems to be homeless. We never really see his family or, and we actually yeah. see him later sleeping in like a shed or something. So yeah. I believe Jake is homeless. Anyway, Jake uh, says he knows where Candyman is. And he tells her the story of another victim about a little boy and uh, she he takes her to a bathroom where this child was murdered, and so she goes inside and she starts taking pictures. There's like uh, graffiti. It says like "Sweets for Sweet," and then there's an arrow in one of the stalls pointing down. And so she opens the toilet lid, and it's a swarm of bees, just like uh, how Candyman was attacked. And then a group of guys enter the restroom. And one of them is holding a hook, just like the Candyman is set to have a hook in place of his hand. And he says, I heard you were looking for Candyman, bitch. Well, you found him. And he <laughs> proceeds to hit her in the face with this hook. Um, he actually doesn't kill her, though, which is... Yeah, weird. he hits her with the broad side of the hook, not the sharp yeah. side. Yes. So I guess he just punches her the one time and then leaves because... Yeah. She wakes up and her eye is destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny you said destroyed because it's actually the word I used in my, my notes was <laughs> destroying her eye. Um, yeah. I mean, it is swollen shut. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, it was bad. It was bad. Good makeup job. <laughs> yes. So then uh, she actually identifies her attacker in a police lineup and they tell her, great, this is this is the guy who we thought killed Ruthie Jean and the little boy. We just didn't have anybody willing to go on record before you. But this is the right guy. So she feels great. 
hey, this solves the Candyman murders. Yeah, I mean, this is another example, and they mention it, um, and I'm not trying to make it too much about it, but there's a lot of undertones here. She, she mentions it to her friend Bernie, um, uh, Bernadette's like, you know, there's two murders happen there, and it takes a, like a white woman getting assaulted for the cops to do anything about it. Yes, so uh, Jake is sitting at the police station as well, waiting on her, and she tells him, Candyman's not real, they're safe. Yeah, he's, he's very uh, hesitant to, to give up any information. I mean, you know, snitches, right? So Exactly, especially um, from where he, he comes from. Yeah. But then, as Helen is walking through a parking lot, we hear a voice. It seems almost telepathic. Did you think that, Graham? I did. And you should mention that this is a couple weeks later because she's like healed, right. healed the up. Right, eye is yeah. like healed up. Yeah. So it's, been a, it's been a couple weeks, month, whatever. Yeah. Yes, definitely like an otherworldly kind of voice, right? Yes. And it is communicating to her. It's saying, you didn't believe in me, but I'm real. And we see, for the first time in the film properly, we get a full view of Candyman. The real Candyman. The, yes, the real deal Candyman. So I was going to ask you what you thought about this, Graham. We are 44 minutes into a 90-minute film before we get our first full glimpse of our bad guy. I mean, finally. Um, and his presence, I mean, we're going to talk about Tony Todd, obviously, but, like, the guy's, like, floating on air. I mean, he's his voice is smooth as silk. Um, yeah, definitely very... Um, like you said, otherworldly. And yeah, 45 minutes in, I mean, that's that's one of the longest we've waited, I think, to find, uh, to see the killer. I'm trying yes. to think back. Um, I mean, if you think about, we, you mentioned Friday the 13th earlier. Yes. We don't really get the reveal until later, but that, that happens a lot. But yeah. yeah. Um, first well, and that time was specifically on... framed as like a whodunit. So the whole point right. was trying to figure out, this is like, we know from the first scene who the killer is. It's just a matter of getting him on camera. And it takes yeah, half exactly. the movie to do it. For sure. But anyway, Candyman tells her that he's coming for her. And they have this like weird kind of standoff. And then all of a sudden, she wakes up. And she is lying in a pool of blood. It's all over her shirt, all over her clothes. And we come to find out she is in Anne Marie's apartment. Anne Marie's dog has been beheaded which is where all the blood comes from. And uh, Anne-Marie is wailing in the next room because her baby is missing. And then uh, Helen happens to pick up the knife or meat cleaver or whatever that was used to kill the dog. And Anne-Marie happens to stumble upon her at this moment. So Anne-Marie reasonably assumes, I should say, you know, re <laughs> pretty reasonably assumes that this crazy blonde lady uh, is responsible for her missing child and for her dead pet. So they get into a tussle where <laughs> Helen actually winds up stabbing Anne-Marie. We get a big squirt of blood. <laughs> and just as all this is going down, wouldn't you know it, the cops burst in the front door right when Helen has Anne-Marie pinned down and was holding the meat cleaver over her. And it looks like she's about to kill her, but in reality, Helen was telling her, stop, stop, stop. Yeah. But from the cop's point of view, this is 
pretty damning. It's, yeah, I was just going to say pretty damning. Um, I'm also glad you called it a cleaver and, and not a butcher knife. Um, I was ready to correct you on that because <laughs> I, I've corrected you on the knives in the past um, since I'm a wannabe chef and butcher. But um, but yeah, I mean... It's Flavor totally, of the Week podcast, folks. Flavor <laughs> of the Week. But it totally looks like... Uh, yes, like she is about to inflict damage on Amber. I mean, it couldn't be more crystal clear that if you right. were just walking into that situation, that Helen is the assailant. Yes. And Amber's, I mean, you know, so... So they haul they, her ass off. <laughs> yes, they take her to the police station. She is strip searched and arrested. But because there's no body, he's actually not charged with anything. So she gets her one phone call and she tries calling her husband Trevor, and there's no answer. So she asks, What time is it? It's well, it's 3 a.m. Okay, maybe Trevor's asleep, except. We see a shot inside the condo, and their bed is empty. What's going on, Trevor? Yeah, what's going on, Trevor? Um, yeah, it was implied a little bit earlier. He was a little bit too flirty with one of his students. He's a professor at the same place that uh, Helen's um, a grad student. But yeah, what the heck, Trevor? He, he showed up late um, at night earlier in the film, too. So this guy, um, yeah, I mean, where's he's married. Um, you, you, you've probably shouldn't be just out and about late at night um you know not with your wife but that's for another sounds another like conversation a, sounds like a garth brooks song to me you know the thunder <laughs> rolls uh if you're familiar with that song tells a very similar tell uh anyway we then see a quick vision where Candyman has the baby has amory's missing baby but anyway helen now back at home well, can back? I just say that I'm very relieved because like when I first saw the scene and Anne Marie's like over the crib and there's blood in the crib, I'm like, she killed that freaking baby. Yeah. Like it was, I am like, I just wrote down my notes. Like I am so relieved that that baby is not yes. hard. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yes. So, um, so anyway, back at home, Helen uh, is visited once again by Candyman and First, he's in the bathroom mirror, so she takes off. She runs out of her apartment into the hallway. Now he's at the end of the hallway, so she runs back inside, and he's back inside. So in addition to being able to speak telepathically, he can also apparently teleport. <laughs> and he, this is where he tells her, this is the quote I mentioned earlier, that her disbelief cost him his congregation because she's been telling people that he's not real, so they're not afraid of him anymore. And really, he's only as strong as the fear, uh, you know, against him or whatever. So as a result, he has to kill her. And he offers her a deal, by the way. He offers her, if you come with me willingly, I will let the baby go. But he takes his hook and he, like, cuts, the, cuts her, like, behind her ear. So she's, yeah. like, starts to bleed pretty bad. And so she's, like, starts to fade out of consciousness when Bernadette arrives and talk about your all time case of bad timing. Yes. Because Bernadette hears Helen screaming, you know, go away, leave, don't come in. So Bernadette naturally comes in through the unlocked door and we see her uh, get a glimpse of the candy man. Her eyes go real big and off screen. We hear a lot of grunting and growling. 
And we can go ahead and ring that bell. That's number two. Boom. Body count number two. Um, yeah, Bernie, I put wrong place, wrong time. I mean, like you said, um, he's, he's just in the wrong place at the wrong time, man. Exactly. Uh, exactly the wrong time. And I was sad to see Bernie get um, her demise. So then Trevor arrives home. And once again, his wife is now in a very compromising situation where her best friend is now dead on the floor. And once again, in her hands is a meat cleaver. Yeah, I mean, she just can't avoid the fact that not only is Candyman doing these things, he's also planting evidence on her. (laughs) So she, uh, who is still, she's still passed out, by the way, from, I guess, the, the cut and the blood loss or whatever. She wakes up in her bed, calling for Trevor, and quickly discovers that she is actually in handcuffs. Mm-hmm. And she like storms out of her bedroom and we see Bernadette's dead body and the police collecting evidence. So yeah, they she's take her, real slashed up too. Yeah. So they take her away and they take her to a mental institute because pretty clear this lady's got some stuff going on. Yeah. <laughs> so they actually strap her to a bed, mm-hmm. uh, use restraints, and then... Candyman appears yet again, floating over her, taunting her. And then uh, he leaves uh, when she starts yelling for people like, he's under the bed, he's under the bed. They don't look, they just sedate her. She goes night-night. And then we get another shot of Candyman playing with the baby. Yeah, and he, <laughs> this, he, he puts his finger and the baby sucks on his finger a yeah. little bit. And I was like, what? That, that was weird. <laughs> weird i'm like is it giving him bee honey um i guess but it is not made clear it is not made clear and i was just like i just wrote up my notes okay like this is a weird shot um but at least we know the baby's still currently okay yes so then helen wakes up she's still strapped to the bed i immediately noticed well she's in different clothes and in fact we find out from uh, Dr. Burke, who she is wheeled to go see, that she has been sedated for a month. A month has gone by. Yikes. Um, he, yeah, because when they first strapped her down, she was still covered in blood. Yes. So she's definitely been cleaned up, but a whole month. Yes. So he informs her that he is there as part of her defense because he is there to see if she is mentally fit to stand trial because she has, in fact, been charged with first-degree murder. And so she doesn't really know how to take this. And then he asked her, the first night you were here, were you visited by the murderer? And then he plays her a video. And we see the scene from, from an overhead camera of when Candyman came and visited her and was floating over her, except there's nobody there. She's yelling at the four walls around her. So... We kind of see in her own mind, it it looks like for a second, maybe there's a little bit of doubt. Yeah. But she says she can prove that there's just not a part of her that would kill Bernadette. It's just there's no part of her soul that's that dark. And he asked her how. And in his office, there happens to be a mirror. So she turns and she looks at the mirror. And she says Candyman five times. 
And just like that, Candyman appears behind Dr. Burke. Burke gets the hook. Ring that bell. That's number three. Bam. Body count number three. Dr. Burke um, sliced from, what do they call it? Uh, Stem to sternum or something like that. Totally. (laughs) He got it the worst. So Candyman then uses his hook to undo the restraints uh, holding uh, Helen in the wheelchair and then flies backwards out of the window. This is kind of crazy. Uh, There's a weird shot there, yeah. Yes. So Helen, there's like an alarm light going off in the hospital now when the window shatters. So she, I can hear the people rushing down the hall towards her and she decides, YOLO, baby, let's go. So she climbs out of the broken window. She like scoots along the edge to another window. She like pounds on the window. The nurse in the room opens opens up and she like jumps on the nurse, causing the nurse to hit her head on the floor, knocking her unconscious. So then she proceeds to steal the nurse's uniform and keys. Yeah, it's uh, it's just kind of funny. Uh, Reminded me of like those those old shows where like you knock somebody out real quick and then you just switch clothes with them yes. and then you know what I mean? Yeah, start whistling along. Nobody can notice you. <laughs> so she's like trying to clean herself up. And uh, she uses the keys to escape through the elevator. And she runs all the way back home where she sees there seems to be some redecorating in progress. There's a lot of empty shelves and furniture is covered with drapes and stuff. New paint. There's new paint. And hey, who's this chick painting the walls pink? Well, she, she, tells, the, she tells this unknown girl, get out of my apartment. And the girl calls for Trevor, who comes yes. strolling into the room in his bathrobe. Yes, it is Trevor's student mistress. That um, you could tell, like it, she never said it, but she was like a little bit like, mm-hmm. okay, what's what's the deal with this chick? Um, I think she said it in the first scene, but but yeah, Trevor's already shacked up with another chick after a month of his wife being in a mental institution. I mean, what do you feel about that? Yes, a month. I mean, A, uh, just, so like somebody died there, right? Like another one of, like your wife's best friend and probably one of your friends. Um, but you don't sell the place or anything. You just move in a new chick and just repaint the walls. So uh, a standoff occurs where uh, Trevor tells this girl, uh, we should call the hospital. So Helen grabs the phone and kind of, dares either of them to take it from her it's like why don't you call them call them <laughs> and she tells trevor that he, she he was the only thing that she had left but it's over and she leaves yeah were you a little bit disappointed i wanted to see more body counts <laughs> stay tuned <laughs> so from there she makes her way back to Candyman's lair and we see on the walls there's uh, a series of murals depicting his execution uh, in lines with the story that the professor told earlier. And um, she finds Candyman just asleep on a, like a table or whatever. And so she grabs a hook of her own. And just as he awakens, she stabs him with the hook. And he's not affected in the slightest. He does not care. Nope, he just takes it out and just continues talking to her. Yep. Um, 
Yeah. He grabs her and she finally agrees to the deal. She will come with him willingly if he lets the child go. And then he like takes her to like uh like an altar? Would you call it an altar? altar? Yeah. yeah. And he places her down and the bees. Yeah, this might be like this is I don't know if the Having not seen this movie, I'd still say this is like one of the most iconic shots, right? Yes. So all of a sudden, bees start appearing, and then we get a shot of Candyman. He opens his jacket. It's all like rotten flesh covered with bees, and then they start coming out of his mouth, and he plants a kiss on her with the bees, and now she's like covered in the bees. And then he grabs the baby and leaves. Okay, um, real quick. So, like, how is the baby still alive a month later? I guess he's been sucking a lot of honey from Candyman's finger. <laughs> I guess he has. Um, but is Candyman real or not? We'll, we'll get to that. But, yeah, a month has gone by. That baby's still in this, like, horrible room just laying there. Anyway, weird. So then... Uh, Candyman and the baby are both gone. She wakes up all alone and she finds one of the murals now has the words, it was always you, Helen, written across it. And so she takes a closer look at the mural and we see Candyman's lover bears a striking resemblance to her. Yeah, I mean, it's a dead ringer for her. So Helen makes her way outside where there's this like giant trash heap or whatever. And she can hear the baby crying inside. So she starts climbing in the trash heap, trying to rescue the baby. And this is where we see Jake in his like shed or whatever. All he sees is the hook that she's holding go in. And he's like, Candyman's here. Mm-hmm. So Jake rounds up his crew. And as Helen is uh, trying to work her way to the center to the baby, unbeknownst to her, all these people are throwing gasoline on the trash and getting ready to set it on fire. So finally, she gets to the baby and Candyman appears. And uh, he like covers her mouth so they can't hear her screaming. They finally start the fire. Everything's on fire. And she says, you lied to me. You were supposed to let the baby go. He's like, our deaths will be you know, eternal. It's whatever. Yeah. He's a liar. So she grabs a piece of burning wood and she stabs him with it and she starts trying to crawl her way out. As he got stabbed, he like fell backwards and like hit some of the other stuff, keeping the structural integrity of the, of the heap together. So now there's just like wood, burning wood falling on top of her. So now she's on fire and she's holding the baby, holding the baby the whole time. So she finally makes her way out of the fire just in time, people throw blankets or on her or whatever. They pat her down. She's badly burned. But Anne Marie just happens to be standing at the front of the crowd and gets her baby back. As Jake looks onto the fire and sees what appears to be a burning body, that of Candyman. So, this is an important question, man, because this is going to be a precedent setter. Do we ring the bell? And the reason I ask, do we ring the bell, 
is, did Candyman really die here? Or did Candyman die in 1890? And beyond that, we know Candyman comes back for sequels. So is Candyman really killed here? That's an interesting question because... Because like when we do... I wrote... Like I wrote the, right. Like Jason gets killed at like a lot of the end of Friday the 13th movies only to come back at the beginning of the next one. So this is going to be a precedent-setting decision here, Graham. Does Candyman get bells or not? Well, good question. Did we give bells... Did we ever give bells to Mike My- Michael Myers in Halloween 1 or 2? Did he die in Halloween 1 or 2? He's well, so he definitely did in the first one. In the yeah. second one, we thought he did, but he comes back in the third one. No, he doesn't. Um, the third one... Oh, the third one was the one the that he didn't... Yeah, that he doesn't come back. Then he comes back in the fourth one or whatever. Yes. So um, actually, I don't remember if we gave bells for my... Actually, let me pull up my notes. I save all of my notes. It's going to take me a minute. So we do not give bells to Mike Myers at the end of Halloween 2. We did not. We stopped the body count at 10. Mike would have been 11. Okay. So, yeah, I'd say since we kind of said it and we know that Katie Man comes back for sequels, I had written in my notes um, that he was body count number four, but I guess we're going to have to say no. I, I would say no bells. That's where I would, I would say no. That would be my, my personal opinion. All right, let's go with that. All right, so now that that has been established, no bells for dead bad guys that come back. And I think his is a special one anyway because of the fact that he actually died as a human 100 years ago. So I think we'd be having this conversation even if the sequel rule didn't exist. Right. Either way, uh, we then cut to Helen's funeral. So it seems like even though she got out, it wasn't in time, the burns killed her. And Trevor is there with his girlfriend what a douche yeah kind of a kind of a. I said that i'm like what the heck are you doing there trevor i guess i mean it was sparsely attended up until There's like this point. seven people there including yeah. the preacher yeah so and you know probably the other guys helping out so yeah i mean i guess he felt like she, you know she uh and we come to find out trevor might still miss helen but yeah he's there with his girl i mean at least don't bring your girlfriend I mean, that's weird yeah. what are you doing that's my thought it's like okay i get it you should it was your wife yeah but why did you bring your girlfriend yeah just 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 a weird weird trevor's a dick i mean come on <laughs> so anyway so then all of a sudden we see a huge group of people from the projects led by Anne-Marie and Jake, all arrive to the funeral, and Anne-Marie and Jake make their way to the open grave, and Jake pulls out Candyman's hook, and he throws it in the empty grave. Yeah, um, and it clinks onto the casket. And, um... So back at their apartment that night, Trevor is in the bathroom. We see he's mourning the loss of Helen as his girlfriend, never named, is like beating on the on the doors, like saying, "Hey, you know, like let's have dinner or whatever." And Trevor, in his morning, says her name once, then he says Helen twice, and he says it a third time, a fourth, and finally a fifth. And the lights go out, and Helen appears behind him with her burned-off scalp, and asks if something's wrong. And then she guts him like a 
fish. Oh, <laughs> by the way, we forgot to ring the bell for Helen. She got burned oh, to yeah. death. That's number four. Yeah. And now Trevor's number five because <laughs> his girlfriend hears the commotion from the bathroom. She busts her way in and finds a bloody, bloody Trevor dead in the bathtub. Ring that bell. That's number five. And credits roll. Okay, so real quick, his mistress, whatever chick, comes in, sees him dead. She's still holding a kitchen knife from dinner. So, like, are you seeing a pattern here? Yeah. Yeah. Did Helen, like, try to frame the side chick for Trevor's murder? Was this, like, a like a I had the same thought. So, yeah, we don't know because, like you said, credits roll. Um, During the credits, we get a close-up painting in Candyman's Lair of Helen again. Um, And boom. That is 1992's Candyman. So, crap. Thoughts? So, I don't really know what to think about this one, and that's exactly what I wrote in my notes. Um, It kind of left me with a couple of questions than anything. Um, It plays out kind of like a stage play to me in some parts. Um, Did you kind of get that vibe? It was kind of like Phantom of the Opera-esque a little bit. Um, with like this mysterious guy and she's kind of almost seduced by him in a way. Um, yeah, I can't say I had that thought, but I, I, I guess I see where you're coming from. Yeah, and maybe that's just my bias um, with with um, just knowing that, you know, Tony Todd's a stage performer and he did, he was quoted as saying like he saw this as his Phantom of the Opera. I think that probably... Um, had the effect on, on my thoughts there. But all in all, dude, I kind of found this movie to be pretty painfully slow in parts. Did you get that? Well. Okay, let me continue because then I'll, I'll let you go. Um, so I will say that this one kind of just falls into the category to me as like dated 90s horror films that just don't translate very well. I mean, there's so many horror movies that you can watch um, again, that have made that were made in the '90s, '80s, '70s, '60s, that still work. This one was just like I don't know. I can see why they rebooted it because it's a cool story and a cool premise, um, but there was some weird elements going on. Um, what What are your thoughts, man? Because okay, I'm just gonna. I did not like it. So, what are your thoughts? <laughs> I loved it. You loved it. So. We are in the exact opposite position, so we found ourselves with signs where you love the film and I hated it. I like this. Okay. Um, so tell me what. Tell me why you liked it. Tell me what you liked about it. First off, I thought Tony Todd was masterful. Yeah, he's. Great. I thought he was every bit as intense and frightening as a Freddy Krueger or a Mike Myers. Actually, when the movie was over, I found myself asking. Why are we just now getting a fourth film in this franchise when there are, you know, 12 Friday the 13th and 11 Halloweens? Like, this could have been, should have been, I I would say, a much bigger deal. I I, Like I said, I thought Todd was masterful. I thought Virginia Madsen, by the way, gorgeous woman. Yes. um, She's a great actress. Academy Award nominated for Sideways. Yes. Um, I thought she was great. I thought it was interesting because most of the time when you're dealing with slasher films, it's like we've talked about the, the classic Robert Eger, Roger Ebert dead teenager movie. This isn't that. This is a slasher built around 
an adult cast. Um, there's mystery elements. We don't really know what's going on. In fact, and I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, we don't even really get the story of why he calls, why he's ever called Candyman. That's never actually told in this film. You're just right. kind of supposed to know. Um because this is a real, like, this wasn't, like, a thing created for, like, the tale, the urban legend of Candyman. Like, that's a thing. So, mm-hmm. um, so like I said, I thought Tony Todd was great. I thought Virginia Madsen was great. I even really liked the actress who played Anne Marie. I thought she was so intense. Um, yeah, she was. So, uh, I, let me get her name real quick. because she definitely Her name is Vanessa Vanessa, Williams. Uh, Vanessa Estelle Williams. Uh, not to be confused with the model Vanessa Williams, Mrs. Uh, America Vanessa Williams. Yes, um, I, I thought she Miss was great. America. <laughs> yes, so I just I loved it. Okay, I, okay, so I'm I still didn't like the movie, but all the things that you said, it was well acted. Um, I'll even say it was well shot. I just I just found the pacing weird, and I just don't. And this is sometimes where we'll disagree on um, movies. And my wife and I have the disagreement. A lot of times I am totally fine with movies ending, um, not necessarily with the cliffhanger, because I think cliffhangers are fine. But with like, I just, I don't, is Candyman a ghost? Is he an evil spirit? Did Helen commit all these murders? Um, But then at the end, we find out, you know, with, Trevor getting killed that, you know, Helen couldn't have done that. They just buried her. So that left me confused. Um, Those things confuse me. And I think sometimes a confused audience is not always the best thing. To me, I hear what you're saying. To me, I thought it was, I thought it was made clear that he was like an evil spirit. Uh, So that's my interpretation of the film, you know? Uh, So I think Helen, as a result of the whole, like, you know, kiss and all that kind of stuff. I think she inherited some of those powers. And so I think that's how she was able to come back and get her revenge on Trevor. Um, I think had Trevor not accidentally did the, you know, five names, uh, you know, said, said her name five times, I, I think uh, he would have been fine, but she had her window of opportunity, her spirit did, or whatever you want to call it. So that's how I interpreted the film. So I don't, I did not come away with those same questions that she seemed to have come away with. Yeah. Um, well, let me ask you a question then, since we're um, so and, and, well. Before we move on, I should say, you know, there are three other movies in this franchise now. I have not seen those. I don't know. Maybe those questions are answered. Maybe we just don't know those those answers. True. Um, yes. So let me ask you. So, if you summon Candyman, are you to assume because the first woman she summoned Candyman in in the opening like. Um, you know, retelling um, of one of Clara, the times the, the that he appeared. Yeah. yeah. So Candyman automatically killed her, but he did not automatically kill Helen. Um, I don't know why that is. He started killing those around her. Um, because of her resemblance to his lover. I think he had a particular interest in, in her. Okay. And um, like you said, I, I, I think Candyman's kind of in control of the situation because like, she says, can- I mean, it was always you, Helen. So, yes. yeah, maybe she is she connected beyond what she realizes, and that attraction to the Candyman story goes beyond just right. Okay. Um, but I was gonna say because like she summoned Candyman in Dr. Burke's office again, and he didn't kill the person who summoned him, he killed the, the guy who happened to be there. 
Um, yeah. He killed Bernadette, who never summoned him. So right. I think Candyman just needs to be summoned, and then he can kind of do what he pleases. Okay, then he has his free will to, to, yes. to feed that desire he has to get revenge on everyone, I guess, for, for them yes. lynching him. All right. Like he said, what's blood for if not to be shed? Yeah, so... Um, Okay, so so you enjoyed the movie. We we talked a little bit of the cast. Let's go let's go deep dive um, a little bit into the writer and director um, Bernard Rose. Are you familiar with his work? I, I am not. I, I saw that name and I was like, I, I have no idea who this person is. Yeah, neither did I. And going through the like the trivia and getting the background on it, like people were like super excited to work with this guy. So like, and I was reading his Wikipedia page and. He was kind of looked at as kind of like a visionary type of uh, filmmaker at the time. So I found that kind of interesting. Um, if you look at his screen credits on IMDb, like nothing really stands yeah. out. He does There's a lot a, of indie. He's got a and, ton of credits. And I mean, I, I frankly, I don't, I don't know many of these projects. Yeah, I saw that he was nominated for a couple independent spirit awards. Um, so he's just been off the radar for me. Um, and I like independent movies, but... Um, but yeah so anyway uh, what did you think about his take because this Candyman was based on a short story by Clive Barker and we know some of his work Trent yes Clive Barker is one of the legends of horror you know right alongside Wes Craven and Stephen King and you know John Carpenter if you will like in fact if you were to make a Mount Rushmore of horror it might be those four people yeah, it's yes, 100%. I mean, he came with the Hellraiser franchise. Um, obviously, Candyman has become a franchise. Um, yeah, so I mean, Hellraiser, huge. Candyman, um, just all his credits are basically horror credits. And he writes a lot of these uh, novels and short stories and stuff. So he's just like working in all elements. He's not strictly just a horror um, film writer. So yeah. Uh, yeah, like I said, like I really, like, I literally don't know any of the other films he's. There's and there's like twenty, by the way. Like there's a lot of other movies he's directed. This is literally the only one I've ever heard of, so it's kind of interesting. Um, but I thought, you know, I thought he did a fine job. Like I said, I, I really enjoyed the film. Nothing really stood out to me as, um, like I wish he would have done this better. Yeah. Okay, and the cast. So we talked about Virginia Matson. We um, you mentioned that she's Academy Award nominated actress. Um, she was well. I mean, you said she was great. I also think she was great in the movie. She's she's beautiful. She plays this role really well, um, where she's. Um, I mean, gosh, she looks. She does look young. It's not like you know she's supposed to be like you know, not high school age, college age, but she looks so young and she's vulnerable, but. Um, at the same time, um, you know, she just plays the role really well. And she is the, am I wrong to say that she's the, the sister of Michael Madsen? I think that's correct, yeah. Yeah, yeah Michael Madsen, that's her brother. Um, he's mm-hmm. one of my, my favorites from a lot of Quentin Tarantino, Tarantino's movies. Um, moving on to Tony Todd. Yeah, what a performance this guy gave. Wow. Yeah, and I mentioned earlier, the guy like floats on air. He's smooth. His voice is smooth as silk. 
Um, he has a presence about him, and he's like 6'5". Um, I thought he played this role really well, uh, especially, um, you know, reading, like I said in the background, that uh, the director was going for um, a type of romance, uh, think like Edgar Allan Poe, Poe type, type of romance, where um, kind of romanticizing um, some of those darker elements. Um, I thought he was really good as well. Um, and then Xander Berkeley as Trevor. What an awesome job this guy did at being a douche. The, <laughs> I don't know who was in charge of, of costuming or whatever, but the decision to have him stroll in in his bathroom, <laughs> yeah. scene where she broke out of the mental hospital, fantastic decision whoever's call that was yeah he's just all comfortable already he, moved on you know did not have less of a care in the world his wife is in a mental institute facing a first degree murder charge and he is as happy as a clam yeah um and it's funny so i saw i'm like xander berkeley i know that name and like he looked familiar this dude's been in a million things too um, yeah, he some, has 242 some, acting credits and some big movies too. Yeah, T2, Air Force One, Gattaca. I mean, yeah, just just been in some big stuff. Walking Dead. Yeah, I mean, he plays uh, the stepdad in Terminator 2. So um, he was in Apollo 13. Yep. So yeah, this guy this guy's been around. You know, he's he's in Kickass. He's just in a ton of things. Dude. Yes. Um, and so then I talked about earlier, I thought uh, Vanessa Estelle Williams as Anne Marie was terrific. Yeah, I mean, she played that part really, really well. I'm not familiar with her work, um, you know, further than this. Um, you know, even looking at her page, um, she's, still, she's still a working actress, so um, she's um, obviously got a lot of acting chops. Apparently she was in the first season of Melrose Place. Yeah, uh, she did a 98-episode arc on Days of Our Lives. Um, I mean, she's working, man. Um, still at it, so um, good for her. And then I thought another good performance um, by Cassie Lemons, who played uh, Bernadette Bernie Walsh. So Yeah, I didn't think she had a particularly ton to do, uh, but she was useful in her role. Yeah. Um, so I think that about wraps up the discussion on the cast and the filmmaker. So Graham, do you got any bloody bits for us? I do have some bloody bits. First, let's talk about box office real quick. Um, horror movies made with notoriously low budget, $6 million budget, grossed almost 26 million uh, or $25 million. So um, that's a pretty good hit, right? That's very profitable. Yeah. And you got to think, um, you always you always talk about it. So I'll beat you to the punch here. Um, Video VHS sales. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Where they play it on television? Residuals um, uh, or some syndication? Yeah, I mean they played this. It spawned um, multiple sequels and then the reboot. So successful. Still didn't like it. Um, so <laughs> I do have some bloody bits. So uh, you, everybody's interested in these bees, right? So Trent, bloody bit number one. Did you know? that Tony Todd negotiated a bonus of $1,000 for every beasting he suffered during filming. Wow. <laughs> Pretty interesting. Um, he was stung a total of 23 times during this movie. Get that check, homie. <laughs> I know, right? Um, and then if interested, he was uh, stung a total of 26 times throughout the trilogy. So 
Um, Giants it probably... seems like they got their hands on it after the first one. Right. Um, they did use... Um, so the bees for this movie, Bloody Bit Number 2, they were bred specifically for the movie. Um, they had like a bee handler. Um, I mean, it's Hollywood, right? Yeah. Um, you need a bee guy? I've got a bee guy. Yeah. Um, uh, so they needed to make sure that these bees were only 12 hours old, Trent, um, so that they looked like mature bees, but their stinger wouldn't be powerful enough to do any like kind of huh. super real damage. So I thought that was very interesting as well. Um, a bee's life cycle, I, I found this out watching a movie a couple weeks ago, that a typical bee's life cycle is about uh, 30 days. So, um, But they would also put like the pheromone of the queen bees onto the actors to get the bees attracted to them and and all this stuff. So, wow. I mean, they had like a legit bee guy here, you know? That's crazy. All right, bloody bit number three. Candyman combines elements of two real life urban legends, Trent. One of them that you might be familiar with from when you were a kid, Bloody Mary. Um, you ever hear that where if you stand in the mirror and mm -hmm. say Bloody Mary three times and she'll appear behind you? Absolutely. Absolutely, so there you go. And then one I know for a fact everybody's heard of as well, um, the hook story of the killer with a hook for a hand who attacked that couple in the sitting car. Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And then I, you could even say, um, fuck, I lost my train of thought. Oh, um, and then, yeah, you could even say uh, beyond that, just the idea of the candy man, you know, like the, the, the old razor blade in candy, yeah. you know, Halloween. Um, urban legend I, you know i guess yeah and i didn't put this in my bloody bits but but there was an actual a real serial killer in the 70s that they dubbed the candy man um pretty dark story if you want to look that up on your own but they called him the candy man because his dad owned a candy factory and this guy committed some pretty gruesome crimes there um and then my last bloody bit is you talked about the sweets to the sweet earlier um that is actually written at the crime scenes as we know and that is a line from william shakespeare's hamlet so um, definitely influenced by, um, and the music in this film was like gothic-y and um, I don't want to call it like religious, but like it was an organ. Um, I mean, I, mean I, I would say there's definitely elements of religion. I mean, we saw him like taking her body to like an altar. He yeah, referred to the people as his congregation. So yeah, I, definitely don't, I definitely think it would not be out of line to, to call it like religious. Yeah. Um, maybe Catholicism or something, yeah. but yeah, very, very interesting elements there. Um, and yeah, those are my bloody bits for today. All right, cool. Now it is time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Graham, guess the Rotten Tomatoes score. Oh, great. Okay. Um, IMDb has a 6.7. I didn't like it, but I'm assuming that that doesn't mean anything. Um, I'm going to say the audience liked it. I'm going to go with like a 59. With 74 reviews. So not a huge number of critics, but with 74 reviews, Candyman is certified fresh at 77%. All right. Good for Candyman. I disagree. I'd, I'd be one of the dissenting opinions there. With 100,000 reviews uh, from the audience, the audience gives it a 62%. Okay. And our favorite critic, in fact, reviewed this film, Roger Ebert. 
using his famous four-star scale, gave Candyman three stars. So Roger he liked Ebert, it as well. He did. Um, and I got a quote here from Roger Ebert. Well, his closing line, actually. What I liked was a horror movie that was scaring me with ideas and gore instead of simply with gore. So okay. you have to think that this is 1992. So we are very fresh off the whole run of Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, and Friday the 13th movies, where it was just kill, 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 kill. Not a ton of story. And so what Ebert was saying here, and I agree with, is that there was more to it. There was, you know, five is not a really high body count for, you know, a slasher film. There's more story to this film than it's, uh, you know, it's fellow slashers. Very well. Yeah, I mean, some of the explanations here make me go back and think, but, you know, movies are subjective and this one didn't grip me. Um, but that's okay, you know? If you, if you liked everything, then movies wouldn't be as special, you know what I mean? Because you're like, well, I, I just like them all, you know what I mean? Um, so there you go. All right, so with Candyman behind us, it's time to look ahead, Graham. Our next episode, tentatively, and again, emphasis is on the word tentatively, <laughs> is set to come out on September 17th. So I have four choices for our next film. Number one, also currently in theaters, is Don't Breathe 2. So, option number one would be the original Don't Breathe, which came out five years ago, 2016. Yes, I saw that with my uh, girlfriend at the time, who's my now wife, Stephanie. Um, it's funny, I have, I have some Facebook memories that are like, um, I can't believe I'm getting Stephanie to go to the theater to see this with me. Um, she's not big on horror films, but we're going to give it a go. Um, and yeah, we both ended up enjoying that movie. So, okay, like the choice. So that's number one. Number two, you know, superheroes are all the rage right now. Shang-Chi is set to come out. There's, you know, What If on Disney Plus. There's been a lot of superhero films in the buzz this year, I would say, you know, Black Widow. I feel like it's been very heavy on Suicide superheroes. Squad. Suicide Squad. So, how about a major superhero film that is from one of the biggest superhero franchises that is in fact a horror film but you've probably never seen graham are you interested how's that i am for interested let's hear it the new mutants came out in 2019 dear or i should say 2020 actually during the pandemic it is the last x-men film that was created by fox but uh it was completed, and then when Fox sold to Disney, it kind of sat on the shelf. They couldn't figure out what to do with it. The folks at Disney didn't necessarily uh, fill it fit with them, so they kind of just dumped it during the pandemic. But how's that for an idea? The New Mutants, a superhero horror film. I actually saw this in theaters last year, which is one of the only films <laughs> seen in theaters last year. So, that, so there's an idea. Okay. I like the idea. Um, you're right to assume I did not see this one. I definitely heard about it. Um, 
bunch of young actors, right? It's got the kid from uh, Stranger Things. And Game uh, of Thrones. Andy Taylor-Joy. Of... Yeah, yeah, Maisie Williams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot um, of familiar so faces. Definitely familiar with it. Um, so, okay, I'll take that into consideration. Number three, a horror movie that came out 10 years ago. Uh, September of 2011, Apollo 18 is a found footage film of a space trip gone very, very wrong. Of course, Apollo 18 was not an actual Apollo mission. Right. Uh, but this is a sci-fi horror film about Apollo 18. All right. I've never seen that one either, but fan of sci-fi horror. So, yes. And I do remember this coming out. Just, just never saw it. So I felt like those three were kind of all a bit off the radar. They're, they're not our usual fare. So I thought... Uh, if you did for last. If you didn't want to go down one of the paths less traveled, shall we say. Um, I still want to make up for missing Friday the 13th in August. So your fourth <laughs> option is Friday the 13th Part 2. So to recap, your four choices. We have the original Don't Breathe. We have The New Mutants, we have Apollo 18, and we have Friday the 13th, Part 2. All right. So, with these in mind, you know I'm going to have to go with my boy, Jason Voorhees, and Friday the 13th, Part 2. All right. I was kind of hoping you'd go that way. Um, this was a bit of an odd time in the calendar trying to find things that would, that would fit. So, um, good. We're going to make up for missing Friday the 13th during our, our, uh, month long hiatus. So you guys can look for that the next time we speak to you. But if you want to hear more from us between now and then, why don't you check us out on Instagram? Graham, why don't you tell them all about it? Yeah, absolutely guys. Um, we thank you for your support on Instagram. Uh, we're still growing. Um, getting close to 600 followers, which is awesome. Um, but yes, you can follow us on Instagram at Body Count Show. Uh, we post screen caps of the movies that we cover, uh, movie posters. Uh, we try to fill in some other content uh, when Trent and I aren't too busy working all the time. You know, it's it's hard to keep up with everything. But um, yeah, follow us on Body Count Show. We'd love to interact with you. Um, and thanks to you guys who do support us on the platform. All right, I think that's going to wrap us up, Graham. Yes, sir. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Body Count. Um, Trent, thanks for being a trooper and um, recording this while you're out of town in Chi-Town, which just happened to be the, the, yeah. the premise of Candyman. Maybe you can go like uh, do some, uh, uh, some location scouting for, for us. Um, I don't think you want to go to those places. but Yeah, no, I'm going to pass. You want to check out um, Cabrini Gardens or Cabrini Green or whatever. Does it count as location scouting for Nightmare on Elm Street when I go to bed every night? <laughs> oh, maybe. Or do I actually need to be on Elm Street? <laughs> uh, good, good point. Good point. There's plenty of Elm Streets. There's like an Elm Street in every town. So um, you'll probably find one if I look. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, thanks guys for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Body Count.